the Esau syndrome, Hebrews 12, verse 12 through 17. So don't sit around on your hands, no more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long-distance runners so no one will trip and fall, so no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Help each other out and run for it. Work at getting along with each other and with God. Otherwise, you'll, you'll never get so much as a glimpse of God. Make sure no one gets left out of God's generosity. Keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. Watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but by then it was too late. Tears or no tears. As we've traveled through uh, Hebrews 12, we've discovered that living life is put within this analogy of a long-distance run. And all of us following Jesus are in this race, this long run, this marathon. We have a crowd of witnesses. They're people that have run the leg of the race before us. They're the Old Testament saints. And they're, and they're cheering us on. And the reason they're cheering us on is because they need us to complete their faith. They're waiting for us to complete the race. And they receive what God has promised to them. So it's time for us to run. It's not time for us to sit around on our hands. It's not time for us to drag our feet. It's not time for us to clutter the, the path. And it's, it's not time for us to stop helping each other. So if you begin to think about what does that mean, you know, if we sit around on our hands, it simply means this. Sitting around on our hands is reducing our faith to simply attending meetings, to doing more Bible study, to knowing the right answers, but never actually doing anything with our faith. Not engaging with our neighbors not engaging with our fellow students or with the other employees around us. It's like me as a carpenter having a truck full of tools and all I do is drive around town saying I'm a carpenter. But I never pull out my tools and actually build anything. Many of us following Jesus have so reduced our faith that we have a pickup full of tools that we're not using. That's what it means to sit on our hands. What does it mean to drag our feet? It means that we're really slow to respond to the opportunities around us. I mean, we have every day the opportunity to join Jesus in what Jesus is doing. What is Jesus doing? What's Jesus doing yesterday? What's he doing today? What's he going to be doing tomorrow? Jesus is setting things right on this earth. And we have the opportunity every day to join Him. And so dragging our feet would just be slow to even acknowledge that that's what Jesus is about. Slow to join Him. Slow to lay aside our own agenda and, and get on with 
helping him. We, we, we don't want to drag our feet. We don't want to clutter the path. And I'm, in some ways, I'm concerned about two things in cluttering our path. One is all our Christian stuff. I like to read. I, I like to listen to worship CDs. But we have so much of it, I'm afraid that we're just cluttering the path with it and it's tripping us up. Because we are, we've so ingested so much and given out so little, little we, we're just kind of overweight, spiritually speaking. So again, we can't just sit on what we have. We don't want to give it away. The other stuff is we live in a very materialistic society. we got stuff, all kinds of stuff. And that can clutter our steps. And not only does that trip me up, but it trips you up because we're going down the same path together. We stop helping each other. We get... We we get caught up in individualism. Again, our culture is very individualistic. And and so you and I, by coming together to say, hey, we want to help each other in life, we are really counterculture. And and we don't want to stop doing that. And, And the reason... We don't want to sit around on our hands. We don't want to drag our feet. We, want to, we don't want to clutter the path and trip each other up. We don't want to stop helping each other. Is because if we do that, then the, the problem is we can end up like Esau. And Esau had many regrets. I thought about, you know, you know what, what am I doing showing this video? And, and now where I'm going with this. Because I'm so afraid that church has become something that we don't want to talk about the reality of life. You know, tell me something that's, you know, kind of flowery and, and kind of comforting. But don't remind me that I made a decision last year and I'm suffering the consequences of it this year. We all have regrets. We've all made stupid decisions. And so I just think as a community of people, why do we need to hide that? Why do we, why do we want to create an environment in this room that we would pretend that things are better than what they are? Now the reason to go down that path is because I believe there is a God greater than us. As Jonah was saying, there is a God greater than our mistakes. There is a redeeming God. So even when we mess up, He's there to rescue us, to save us. That's part of our celebration. But if we can't share where where our regrets are, we miss out. So we don't want to sit around on our hands. We don't want to drag our feet. We don't want to clutter the path. We, we, We don't want to get to the point of not helping each other, because we don't want to fall into regrets. As I've thought about Esau this week, and you may not have, that Esau may not have been in your book of, you know, read, you wrote, you're, I don't know, you probably weren't reading in Genesis this week. So let me kind of back up and remind you of the story. Esau is one of two sons of Rebekah, and Rebekah is the wife of Isaac. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs, the big three, out of Genesis. So the faith is beginning. And Esau was one of, of two twins. Esau and Jacob were in the womb together. And Esau came out first. He was the older, but as he was coming out, the younger, Jacob, was holding onto his heel. 
and being astute, those that named the two said, well, Esau, who came out first, man, he is really hairy, and he's got a reddish tint, so his name is Esau. And Jacob, who's holding his heel, is a usurper, a deceiver. That's where Jacob's name comes from. And so these two brothers grew up in the household of Isaac and Rebekah. And there's two things that happened between those brothers that are big deals. One, Esau was a man's man. He was the hunter. He was the guy in the field. He was the guy, you know, that smelled bad and didn't really care because that was living life big. Jacob, on the other hand, liked, liked the finer things of life. He liked to stay home. He liked to clean house. He liked to make meals. And so there, there's this event where Esau comes home from hunting. And I don't think it was the same kind of hunting that, you know, Otto does where he, you know, kind of feeds the deer and they come to him and, you know. I, I, th- I think it's really, it was like the real thing hunting, you know, like you had to really go find the animals, you know, they didn't come to you. You had to go find them. And so he probably had to really work hard at going. And so when he comes home, he's famished. Probably didn't get anything. I've been out in the bush. I didn't get anything. I haven't been eating. I'm starving. What you're cooking smells great. It's red lentil stew. I want that. If I don't have that right now, I'm going to die. And Jacob, being the deceiver, the usurper that he was, coached by his mom. Sorry, moms, sometimes moms don't come out good in the the Bible. This is one of those really sad stories of a mom. He says, well, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a bowl and you'll survive, but you need to give me your birthright. You're the older, that means you'll get two thirds of the inheritance, I'll just get a third. So you give me two-thirds of your inheritance, we'll swap places, and I'll give you your survive. He says, okay, I mean, I'm going to die. What good is the future? So I'll have that stew, please. So trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. That's, that's the Esau syndrome. But it's not just that. Because Esau woke up after he was nourished and thought, what in the world have I just done? And toward the end of Isaac's life, when the blessing would be bestowed upon the oldest, you have a deception. There is no way on planet Earth that that you can make something good out of something as bad as what Jacob and Rebekah did. The only thing that we can say is that there is grace for the human race. I mean, here is the chosen family, which is dysfunctional. I mean, if you ever wondered if where dysfunction came from, it comes from Genesis. That means it's been here for a long time. And so you've got the younger and the mother with the father that is now blind and close to death you know, son, Esau, go get me that wild boar or whatever. Fix it for me and I want to bless you. Mom, hey, Jacob, your father's just sent your brother out to hunt. I've got a lamb here. You need to get the blessing. Let's cook that lamb the way that Esau, you know, would do it. And let's put, let's put hair on you so you'll feel hairy. 
And if you just go through that story, it's, I mean, absolutely positive. Isaac's, the voice is Jacob's, but he feels like Esau. There's this total deception going on. I mean, it's like he knows that he knows that it's not really Esau. And it even gets down to when he smells him. It smells like the earth. It smells like the dirt that Esau kind of smelt like. He finally said, okay, I'll bless you. And then when Esau comes back later, he misses out on the blessing. Keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. Esau missed the blessing through deception. It wasn't something that he asked for. It's not necessarily something that he deserved. It's something, it was a turn of something that he missed out on. And from that day on, Esau was a bitter, bitter person. Two things. One, my father is close to death. As soon as he dies, I'm going to kill my brother. My friends, this is in the patriarch's family. The other thing is, he found out that his parents didn't approve of Canaanite women, and so he married them. You don't like them, Mom? Well, I'm going to bring one home because you don't like them. Now, the Esau syndrome is something that, that didn't go away, it's not just something of the past. It's something that is with us today. And as you and I are a people trying to run our leg of the race well, we need to beware that the dynamics of an Esau are still with us in two ways. Number one, we trade our birthright for short-term appetites. Just, Just think a moment. You know, when I have a moment of pride and I'm, 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 I'm filled with boasting about how great I am, I am substituting the reality of there will be a day that I'll be honored as a son of God, but it isn't today. So I'm substituting something that is part of my birthright in the future with something That's short-term today. When I get mad and I want to break something or break somebody, I want revenge. Again, I'm substituting this, the instant act with, is there a God that says, vengeance is mine? I will repay. I mean, as I begin to think about it, I mean, really, every sin that any any of us choose to do, it's a substitute. And we're feeding a short-term temporal need and we're, 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 we're kind of putting our future birthright at risk. Trying to get today what is promised to us tomorrow. 
Many of our vices are things that make us feel good. Well, just wait time out. What do you think eternity is going to feel like in a new body when we're resurrected and we're ruling and reigning with Jesus? What do you think that's going to feel like? That's going to so exceed any moment of pleasure that we could ever get out of a bottle or a whatever. So that Esau syndrome is there. Where you and I would make this choice, we would trade our birthright, our bright future for something very short term. So let's agree not to do that. Let's agree to stop that. Let's agree to encourage each other. Let's not set each other up. Let's say no. Let's re- no, let's not do that. You're thinking about substituting some short-term benefit with something that's future. Look around the room, pick somebody out, call them. I'm about to make the decision that Esau did for a stinking bowl of red lentil stew. We can help each other. The other is when blessing is taken away from us. Again, (laughs) other than the absolute sovereignty of God and that the younger would rule over the older, I mean, there's nothing right. Jacob stole the legitimate blessing of his brother. Well, when I was 12 years old, my parents divorced. Did I deserve that? I lost my dad. I lost him through divorce and I, I lost him to alcoholism. Did I deserve was that? Did I deserve, did I deserve that? I wasn't promoted. Unjustly, I deserved it. I didn't get it. I wasn't recognized that time. I I deserved being recognized. I lost my innocence. Wasn't deserved. It's unjust. I've lost some friends. Not because I deserved it. A few that I have deserved, but most I didn't deserve it. My friend, those are all synonymous with losing blessing. Every one of us has lost some blessing in this life, and here's the difference. Will we remain bitter to our dying days? My dad abandoned me. My friends, If we remain bitter, if I would have remained bitter about my dad abandoning me, guess what I would have done with my kids? I would have abandoned them. The measure you use will be measured to you. Do we remain bitter when we lose out on blessing? Or do we forgive? Do we forgive? I did not deserve to lose that blessing, but I did. I don't like it, and I choose 
to forgive. Process of forgiving my dad took years. I'm not, I'm not talking about cheap forgiveness. I'm not talking about, well, just say you're sorry. I'm not talking about that. Genuine forgiveness takes a long time, and it goes very deep. But we avoid being the Esau of our day when we forgive. Have you read the rest of the story? Do you realize like 14 years later, after Jacob himself is deceived, he gets his own medicine, and he's coming back, and God says, now I'm going to change your character so you're going to wrestle with me at face of God, Penuel, and I'm going to touch the sinew of your hip. You're going to walk the rest of your life with a limp as a reminder that you strived with me. And so with that limp, Jacob is making his way back. His name now is Israel. And he's going to meet Esau. He divides his family because he's afraid. My brother still wants to wipe me out. If I divide my family in two, he can only get half of it. And when they meet, Esau embraces him. What's happened in Esau's life? He's forgiven. He's forgiven. Forgiveness is the way for you and I to avoid the Esau syndrome. So we want to run for it. What that means is we're going to stay out of the Esau syndrome. We're not going to substitute short-term pleasure for long-term benefits. We're going to accept that where we've not been blessed in life, we're going to get to the point of forgiveness And we need to help each other do that. We're going to work at getting along with each other. Work at getting along with each other. Our friendship, our relationship, our family, our community takes work. I know we want it to be easy. I know we have enough hassles in life, but this is not utopia. This is where we get to work. This is where we help each other. We not only work at getting along with each other, notice the next. We work at getting along with God. Oh, no! You mean i got to work at getting along with God? Yes! It's not that God has trouble getting along with me. I have trouble getting along with God because he's God, I'm not. He always gets his way and I don't. But did you also notice by working at getting along with each other, by working at getting along with God, we begin to get a glimpse of God. And if we're not willing to work at getting along with each other and getting along with God, we will not see God. Wow. Make sure everyone gets in on God's generosity. Make sure that none of us misses the abundance of God's grace.
God's undeserved merit. He pours out grace upon it, not because we deserve it, but because of who He is. Grace does not come from our work. Grace comes from His work. And it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no. Grace, the grace of God doesn't teach us to say, yes, I can do that and get away with it. That's not the grace. If, if that's where you are, if you think that the grace of God allows you to keep sinning, to keep substituting short-term pleasure for long-term appetites, and you, and you call that grace, I got news for you. That is not grace. That's called mercy. I mean, Paul says it so clear. As I'm experienced the grace of God, shall I keep on sending all the more? May genoit, that's the strongest way in the Greek language to say. May it never be. Are you kidding me? The grace of God. Extend grace to each other. Give each other a break. You don't know what's going on in each other's lives. You don't know what pressure I'm under. I may be being a jerk today, but give me some grace. Work and get along with me. Treat the weeds of bitter discontent with forgiveness. My friends, we must forgive. Jesus forgave us so that we could forgive each other and that we could forgive everyone else on the planet Earth. We have to work at it, but we can forgive. So let me give some suggestions. Let me start at the bottom and go up. I'm going to guess every one of us in this room has one difficult relationship. That, you know, you don't... Are you counting on your finger? <laughs> Just pick one. This won't work if you pick more one. <laughs> pick one difficult relationship and work on it this week. Maybe it's just this simple thing. I'm going to wait till they call me. Well, call them. Work on one difficult relationship this week. We all have them. If you don't have them, pinch yourself or you're alive. Are you alive? We all have them. So work at it. On your watering day this week, this is a reminder we're in stage two drought, so we have one day to water. You know your day? My neighbors don't know their days. Of course, I fudged a little bit this morning, too. Thank you. <laughs> Identify the seeds of bitter discontent in your heart. Where have you gotten a raw deal? Where have you not been blessed? Acknowledge that. 
Don't blow it off. Just identify it. And make a decision that you're going to stop watering those seeds. And you're going to move toward uprooting the weeds of bitter discontent. And you're going to move toward forgiveness. I know that that's hard. I have been there, but I can tell you it is well worth it. Lastly, can you believe it? Fast. I want you to pick one meal this week. Fast during that meal. And in that time that you would normally be enjoying that meal of healthy food that we're now going to learn about, identify what your short-term appetites are. Where, where are you trying, you know, what's your comfort food? You know, when you get stressed out and you just, I, I, got, I, got, I got to have some relief, identify what that is. At least know what your short-term pleasure cycle is. What, what is it that you substitute for your long-term birthright? And begin to compare the two. Would you, would you like to stand with me, please? I would encourage us to all start running in place, but that, you know, it's time to run. It's time for us to stop dragging our feet. We have tremendous opportunity to bring the dignity and the power of Jesus Christ to our community. So let's pray to that end. And then I want to invite any of you, um, I mean, these are some touchy subjects. And these are some areas of our life where we really can't do this alone. So if you would like a little bit of a jump start, you know, for just somebody to know, hey, I'm going to work on this this week, but this is really, really hard for me. Will you pray for me? I'm going to stand over here, others as well, and we, we'll pray with you just to get us going. So Lord, thank you. Thank you that you've invited us to run together in this race of faith and life. And thank you that you're not concerned about who wins first, who crosses the finish line first. You just, just want us to get there. Lord, I thank you that you've given us a faith that's so practical. I pray that you would get us off of our hands and give us plenty of opportunity this week to put our faith to work with our neighbors, with those that we work with, those, those that we work for, those at the grocery store, wherever we are, put our faith to work. Lord, I pray that we'd be quick to enter into what you're doing in each and every day, that we would join you in setting things right on our world. And I pray, O oh Lord, that each of us would recognize that we're so like Esau. We're so prone to substitute our, our birthright with a short-term pleasure.
I ask, Lord, that you interrupt that syndrome. Lord, I pray for those of us that are living with bitter discontent. I pray, Lord, for those of us that are really laboring under unforgiveness, that we've not been blessed and we just, we just don't want to let go of it. I pray, Lord, that you would lift that off of us, that you would move us towards forgiveness, Lord. Lord, we want to run together. We want to work together. Lord, we want to finish our leg of this race well. So I invite you, Holy Spirit, to activate this truth in all of our lives. Empower us now to live out this truth this day and each day of this week to your glory and for your sake, I pray. Amen. Thank you for a moment.